Range Radio Theatre, Episode 1. A dramatic reading of Facebook comments during the live stream of a Governor Jay Inslee speech in Yakima, Washington. <coughs> we enter and find Governor Jay Inslee astride a lectern in the open air. It is June 17th, 2020. He wears a tasteful suit, shirt open at the neck, suggesting a certain nonchalant confidence, and a powdery blue cloth mask in the style that was so popular during covid Framing his twinkling eyes, the trademark spectacles that have earned him Twitter nicknames like Governor Bay and Sexy Grandad. Back in a county he once called home, Governor Inslee engages in a bit of jocularity with the beat reporters. But on the internet, peril awaits. Begin. Nick, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? Nice to see you. Yeah. Where'd you get that funny hat? Uh, Montana State. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gregory Scruggs, freelance on assignment from the Washington Post today. Great. Go home. Vote him out. Great. Jay, you suck so bad. Go home. You're the worst governor yet. Thank you. Must be looking at more real estate for his vacation home. Trump 2020. Drew Miller, also with Cap View. Great. What an ass hat with dollar signs for the S's. Also with the Yakima Herald. All right. Handpicked crowd. No hard question. Guys, a sideshow. Great. Great. Okay, we all ready? Uh, thank you for joining us. This is a joy for me to be here today. Uh, Culp for governor. I consider this a historic uh, place because this is the place uh, Poop. I was teaching a class uh, the day my second son was born at Yakima. LMAO. Oh, he has a mask on. Not big That's enough. So, uh, he must cover all of his face. Being on this campus. And we just had a, a meeting with some valley leadership of the mayors of I love how in prior interviews he didn't wear masks while speaking, yet after he caught flack, he put one on. Inslee needs to be voted out. Win a Spokane, go into phase three. Forward. This guy's a clown. We have very two. Culp for governor. Simultaneous, uh, very intense desire. You have lost your state, all caps. You are toast for re-election. One is to try to reopen some of our business. My condolences, Yakima. So that people can restart the economy. Inslee will go down in history and one of the worst governors of all time. Enjoying the Yakima Valley. This is an intense Stay out of Spokane. We have so many small business people who are just... Uh, Only reason he is over here is because of the mess he made in Seattle. ...to try to get their businesses restarted after such a prolonged closure. We're used to disasters. We've had you in Olympia for eight years. ...back to their lives and help restart the economy. And we are very interested in working with leadership here in the Valley to allow that to happen. Told you not to come back here. Don't poison my county. Get back to your bunker. So that's our number one uh, goal that we want to figure out a way to achieve. Does he plan to surrender some of the Yakima Valley to the local Communist Party? Asking for a friend. Do this in a way that will beat this virus down. Fix that mess in Seattle if he cares so much for Washington. And unless we Why the hell is he wearing a mask outside when no one is around him? This virus is on a rampage. Thank you, Governor Inslee, for trying to do the best for our state. Shut up, dummy. Communist. me to say that. Because At what point are you going to do something about Antifa in our state? They terrorists. Everyone else is in the Worst govern in the history of Washington. A very deadly virus. I'll just give you a sense on this. What I mean. Hippocrites. The Hippocrite Award goes to. This on such a beautiful day, to think that we have this invisible threat. That is the invisible threat is visible. Jay Inslee. A scientific fact, and so I just want to share with you, because right now the valley is unfortunately the epi epicenter of this earthquake of this epicenter lol 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 share with you a couple numbers what i mean by that riots didn't work back to covid-19 episode 22 
The hospitalization rate in Yakima Valley... When are you breaking up Woodstock? ...capita is eight times higher than it is in King County. He can't keep millions of unemployment funds going to thieves. How can he do anything? Eight times higher. This is an enormous dramatic difference that we're... This clown is so clueless he has no idea. ...between King County and Yakima County. The infection rate... He's visiting Yakima while Seattle is falling apart. Uh, ...per 100,000 is 28 times higher than it is in King County in the last few days. He sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Chasing back across the mountain, better yet, across the ocean. Get out of our city, you loon tune clown emoji. Friday. And unfortunately... I can't wait to vote this man out. A scientific fact... He likes the term scientific fact. I wonder who's science. Poop emoji. No dot common dot sense Inslee poop emoji. Mike's giving me the high sign to take off my mask. Is that what you're suggesting? That's not a mask. It's George Soros' jockstrap. So I'm going to have to take this off since we are socially distancing and we are outside. Oh, that's science to take it off? Oh, my God, I can't take him any longer. He should be giving so, a speech on Capitol Hill. The he said he took it off because of the First Amendment? What a joke. Devil horns, devil horns, devil horns. Just let Spokane County go to phase three. We don't believe any of your numbers. Devil, 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 devil. Oh my God, why isn't he wearing a mask? Ridiculous. Governor Inslee, you're a clown emoji, clown emoji, clown emoji. Why isn't he wearing a mask? <clears throat> this has been Range Radio Theater. Thank you for listening. Poop emoji. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Episode 9, Are You There, God? It's me, Yakima. Oof, that was a weird one. Weirdest one, maybe? Maybe just, maybe just the least funny. <laughs> God, what even was that, Baumgarten? I'm just trying so hard to make you laugh every week. The interview today is with a guy named Stephen Robbins. He's an immigration attorney in Yakima. Super smart guy. I first heard him on the Majority Report with Sam Cedar like a year ago or something. And I was just listening to this interesting, smart immigration attorney talk about the border and the fundamental American hypocrisy that is our immigration policy. Like we absolutely need immigrant labor to literally sustain our nation among a million other jobs that are thankless and that, you know, most white people don't want to do. Something like 50 to 70% of ag workers are undocumented immigrants. And because we have this absolutely toxic idea of American sovereignty, we've hardened our borders and made these people illegal, even though they're keeping us alive, right? So yeah, very on brand for my interests. So I Twitter stalked him and then I realized he was from Yakima. And so I just made a mental note. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, I realized strangely that actually the hardest hit county in Washington per capita for the coronavirus is Yakima County. I mean, Yakima's a city technically, but it's not big. It's very rural, mostly farmland. And so trying to figure out how that could possibly be. So I hit Stephen up on Twitter and just asked if he would be nice enough to talk about sort of the intersection of the political environment in Yakima, the the agricultural situation in Yakima, the immigration situation, the undocumented situation, and how all of that has contributed to this really brutal outbreak of the coronavirus. And he was nice enough to say yes, yeah, so I called him for a little boots on the ground, you know, 
embedded reporting, basically. But then George Floyd was murdered. Everything went to hell nationally, globally, and even in Spokane, right? So we sort of shifted focus, had this really amazing interview with this really awesome immigration attorney, and the world falls apart. And maybe the world changes. Maybe the world changes for the better. I have better than even odd hopes that like this is going to fundamentally change not just life in America for people of color, but maybe for everybody. Maybe this is a, a catalytic moment. So zero regrets shifting away from coronavirus and Yakima to sort of focus on what might very well be a world historic event. But I was a little worried that this interview wouldn't age well because it's been, it's been two weeks and we're talking about coronavirus, which is changing all the time. And also its impact, coronavirus's impact on the community there, specifically the undocumented population or, or the immigrant population that does, you know, if you like the fruit that you've been eating through all of this hell, uh, hug an immigrant because they're the ones picking it for you. Often as we'll hear in abysmal conditions. So yeah, that part really sort of hammered home to me if I feel like a, a teensy bit unsafe when I walk to the grocery store to grab some produce. It's nothing compared to the person who actually picked that produce for me so that I could just you know, have a snack. So yeah, worried this wasn't going to age well. And then I see this live feed of Governor Inslee in Yakima. And turns out, yeah, it actually still is pretty terrible in Yakima. Yakima has the worst per capita COVID situation in Washington state and actually the worst on the West coast now. So this interview aged really well because things have only gotten worse tragically. But then as I'm watching this live stream, I'm seeing the comments and who boy, do those folks have a different opinion of what is really the problem in our state. <laughs> and it seems like a pretty decently even mix of uh, Yakimanians, Yakimaniacs, uh, and Spokanites. So they seem like kinfolk to us. All much more worried about Antifa than about the coronavirus. And so although this uh, interview is a couple weeks old, it actually might be a look into Spokane's future, like a look into it. Because when I talked to Stephen, he made this really interesting uh, observation about mask usage in Yakima. You know, at first it seemed like people were being pretty responsible. And then weirdly, after a couple of weeks of that, I went to the store one day and there was just, there was no one wearing a mask. Sound familiar? Sound like any mid-sized city you know, Spokane? We did a pretty good job getting to phase two, people masking up when they went out and just staying home in general, but that's all stopped, at least in my observation. So anyway, this is mostly about Yakima. It's mostly about immigration. It's mostly about COVID. It's mostly about the super smart guy, Stephen Robbins. But maybe in the back of your head, as we're talking about some of this stuff, just keep in mind that Stephen Robbins was talking about behavior that he was witnessing maybe a month or six weeks before we talked, which was two weeks ago. So maybe two months ago. And now, to throw it back to our governor as he was getting heckled during that live stream. Today, the, um, the hospitalization rate in Yakima Valley per capita is eight times higher than it is in King County. Eight times higher. This is an enormous, dramatic difference. The infection rate, the number of people who are infected uh, per 100,000, is 28 times higher than it is in King County in the last few days. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a lag there, but, you know, that saying come for the bull and get the horns. In this case, it's come without the mask and get the Rona, even if it takes like two months. So yeah, come for the smart lawyer, come for the immigration talk, come for the reminder of our nation's fundamental hypocrisy, come for the quick get to know you about our neighbor Yakima, where 
so much of our produce comes from, but maybe stay for the cautionary tale about this pandemic. Damn, Stephen Robbins, if you're listening to this, we covered a lot of ground, my man. Thank you so much for your time. All right, he's coming up right after this. All my podcasting stuff's at home, and I'm at the office, so... (laughs) You do not sound bad at all to me, so... All right, well, you know, it just is what it is. So this is a test of your (laughs) your, uh, producing... Ability, my priorities. Exactly. Well, I have I have roughly one month of producing experience uh, under me. So, well, that's all you need. Just <laughs> go to YouTube University and uh, literally did. Yeah. Yep. Figured out. <laughs> uh, so maybe just let's just start with like what what made you want to practice immigration law? I, I guess like the story that I normally tell, which is. Um, True. It's not a story, I guess. But um, so I was raised in the Mormon church and did my due diligence uh, and went on a Mormon mission where you get sort of randomly assigned. Sure. Uh, and I got assigned to the Canary Islands. And um, up until that point, I was not at all political. Like I, I watched a lot of SNL as a kid. <laughs> And so, like, everything pre-2000, pre-2000, or up until, really, like, through the 2000 election, it's just a rough, like, weekend update sketch in my the back of my memory, right? <laughs> um, in the Canary Islands, there were there's a bunch of immigrants from Africa who come over on boats, and it's really dangerous. Like, a bunch of the boats sink. And then when they get there... They take like shitty jobs and they're under they're underpaid. Right. And I started hearing these stories of people who'd be like, oh, it's payday. But, uh, you know, and I know you've been working on this construction site for, you know, three weeks, but you don't have papers. I guess you you know, I guess I can't pay you. And just uh, really horrendous uh, abuses. And I guess I was just naive and w- didn't realize the world was. <laughs> not great. <laughs> and so that's kind of what got me interested um, initially. But, you know, coming out of law school, I didn't have a clear idea of, of what I wanted to do necessarily or, you know, where I would go. And I ended up getting hired to come to Yakima and open a, an office for a guy who wanted to have kind of like the McDonald's of immigration law. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds on the up and up. He, he wanted, well, he would, I don't know. Well, yeah, I can talk about this. It's fine. Um, <laughs> his vision for his law office was inspired by a trip to the dentist where you go and all these people making like just over minimum wage do all the actual work. And then the dentist r- literally rolls in for the last five minutes, like takes a peek, checks some work and then takes basically all of the money. Wow. He, he had had it in his mind that he was going to make a lot of money. The problem is like lawyers have constructed the law for, the, for, themselves. for themselves in such a way that like, it's pretty easy to leave a firm. There's no such thing as like non-competes for lawyers. And so I left basically as soon as I could and just opened my own little office. So, yeah. Um, just briefly going back to the Mormon uh, missionary thing, I'm surprised that you got people on the Canary Islands to talk to you because I've personally never done anything but run away from um, oh, people yeah. in short sleeve shirts when I see them. So 
Yeah. So, but clearly very charismatic person. No, but we didn't. That's the thing. Uh, it was very unsuccessful. Um, (laughs) and it was very traumatic, honestly, like in a lot of ways, just the amount of rejection. And then also this sort of idea that part of it's on you, like your righteousness and your ability to follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, plays a role in how successful you are. And so, Hmm. you know, just not getting in the door and and all those things rather than seeing it as like, well, yeah, we're, we're weird. And why would anyone listen to us? (laughs) There was a lot of like, you know, if we were more obedient, then, uh, then we'd be more successful, which is like not a healthy (laughs) vision of the world. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, it was very unsuccessful. Well, but it led you to this and it led you here. So, I mean, I, I'm going to admit to a couple things. I Here's what I know about Yakima. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there once in 1998 for a basketball tournament. Uh, I know there's a lot of hops grown there because I got some buddies who brew beer. Uh, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of other farm crops. And I also know that 22 years ago, Zilla had a really good basketball team we just could not beat because yeah. we lost in a double elimination tournament twice. So uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I know it's tough, man, but um, you know, yeah. slowly healing. Uh, how, so can you tell me... What, what what can you tell me about Yakima that, that makes seems, it interesting? It seems random that Zilla... Did you just say Zilla? Yeah. Or, yeah, Zilla. There's nothing in Zilla. I mean, there's nothing in Yakima, <laughs> but even less. In, how did they manage just one of those lucky... To even have a team? Yeah. I, well, we were a small school too. So I, I grew uh, up in the country. So it's probably... Yeah. I see. This was like Hoosiers, except both teams were very small. <laughs> so your center was like 5'11". Uh, I was our center. I was actually the tallest kid in the league, and I'm a I'm six two on a good day. Okay, yeah. So I play basketball about like that in a league like that. Anyway, yeah. you're asking me just to describe Yakima. Oh man, so Yakima is very conservative. This is like hardcore MAGA country. Um, okay, it's also highly segregated. So it's it's MAGA country. It's also like about fifty fifty of white Hispanic. Okay, and actually one of the first things we we heard when we moved here, uh, like a family member of a family member had said, because we were trying to get our bearings and, and that sort of thing. And they said, just don't live below 40th. <laughs> okay. And there's this clear line that everybody understands. There's, you know, above 40th and below 40th. And, you know, she didn't say, she didn't say that's where the Mexicans live. <laughs> uh, but it turns out that that's basically the case. Wow. Um, so it's, um, highly segregated. The, the city fought a, uh, a redistricting case. Oh, like gerrymandering? Yeah. Voter representation all the way to the Supreme court and, oh, wow. and lost because they were trying to overturn like literally 80 years of Supreme court precedent <laughs> and, uh, failed. So it's, it's just that kind of a place, you know? So if it's about 50-50 Latino to white, is there voter suppression going on? Or is it that, you know, there's a decent number of MAGA Latinx people too? Or what's... Yeah, so I think, um, you know, that's what the conservatives would say. One of the former council, city council members is a host of the local AM talk radio show, uh, Dave Edel. And, and he would say, you know, look, Latinos can vote. You know, there's all these people who can vote and they just don't. And so uh. <laughs> which is kind of true um, in some ways, but they were also trying to say that like, you know, the, the lines should be drawn based on eligible voters and not, you know, total population. Okay. 
Right. So so you would have these districts essentially where, you know, you have 50,000 people, but 40,000 are undocumented or whatever, you know. Sure. Yeah. They wanted the representation to be laid out that way. And, and the Supreme Court has already said, no, I mean, people represent folks without papers and children who can't sure. vote. So that's not how it's going to be. Anyhow, yeah, I don't know exactly why the, the low participation. I mean, some of it has to do with probably lack of status. Some of it has to do with just people in general are not super engaged in politics. Um, I don't know. I was just looking up demographic data and stuff. And I saw a stat that said it's like 18.1% foreign born. Does that seem low to you or does that seem about right? You know, is it a bunch of Latinx folks who have citizenship and then a bunch who were foreign born or does that seem low because of people aren't reporting? Um, a lot of immigrants who are foreign born, you know, they have children here. So sure. I don't know that that probably seems about right. Hmm. Okay. If I, if I had to guess. So Yakima has got to be about the most diverse place in Eastern Washington. How did everybody end up in Yakima? Was it all farming or was it something else? Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, it's, it's always sort of been an agricultural area. I mean, as long as white people showed up and started irrigating and stuff like that, um, and, and pl- planting or orchards and sure it just has a good climate for um tree crops especially and and that sort of thing yeah and so you know honestly it's kind of the main economy it's not like we've got a big factory or or something else And, and agriculture you know it's it's not just picking apples there's warehouses where the fruit is stored and sorted and shipped and there's the shipping and the you know there's all these different elements yeah to, yeah there's like a whole supply chain yeah huh i mean i just wanted to chat about um, immigration stuff for a while but then i realized the other day like maybe right before i i hit you up that yakima has this crazy COVID outbreak like so much worse than mm-hmm. almost anywhere else and and per capita way worse so what's that look like on the ground there and who's who's impacted and why is it just because it's all these agricultural workers who can't take a day off yeah so i think if um I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but um, a huge percentage of the workers in Yakima County are deemed uh, to be essential. Okay. So it's like way more than in an area like Seattle where people can either work from home or uh, just not work. That That's one reason. Um, I, and I'd be interested to see studies on this maybe further down the line. But, you know, another huge reason is I do think the, the degree to which the area is just conservative, like really, really conservative. And if you listen to the talk radio, you know, they're talking about wanting to go out and not wear masks. Okay. Uh, specifically as a kind of patriotic owning of the libs or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so people here really do bathe in, in those kinds of waters. And I've heard people articulate sort of multiple conspiracies sort of rolled into one big conspiracy, even like conspiracies that are inconsistent with each other. It's either a plot by the Democrats or something, uh, you know, or it's fake or it's you know, it, right. ki- it kills some people, but not that many or, or whatever it is. And so I did notice, you know, at first it seemed like people were being pretty responsible. And then weirdly, after a couple of weeks of that, I went to the store one day and there was just there was no one wearing a mask. Like, yeah. it, and it was strange because it 
it really dropped off. And I, I think this idea that like, you know, we just have to get back to normal. We have to ignore it away, uh, really caught hold and, and you're seeing it bear out in the numbers. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm at the other end of the supply chain when I go five blocks to a grocery store and grab some apples or whatever. And and that's been a little bit of a friction point in our community as well. Like a weird mix of the, the sort of people you're talking about, like the, the AM radio listener, mm-hmm. you know, then also like the goop Gwyneth Paltrow fans of the world, both sort of <laughs> questioning. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I sort of live more on the Gwyneth Paltrow part of town. And it, that's been a really, really surreal thing. But it struck me that that those are sort of you know there are these groups at least in spokane and spokane's a bigger place so maybe there's more opportunity for this but you know there's been a lot of a lot of dialogue about that and it strikes me that if these are farm workers you know out on a in a ranch somewhere or in a in a warehouse somewhere this plight seems largely ignored especially if it's those populations getting hit really bad because i was i was shocked that i hadn't heard from the seattle media or from the spokane media almost anything about Yakima at all. Yeah. um, If you think about it, the problem really compounds itself in a couple of really tragic ways. Um, Immigrants, as an example, are cut off from, or undocumented immigrants, at at least, are cut off from a lot of basic uh, help, you know, food stamps, uh, certain types of benefits. They didn't get uh, stimulus checks. Right. U.S. citizens who are married to an undocumented person. Oh, I heard about that. Didn't get stimulus checks. And so what ends up happening is these are folks who typically some work year round, but a lot of them work seasonally with two to four months off in the in the wintertime. And so the, the money that they make at this time of the year is critical. Like it's what gets them through uh, the winter and they're living paycheck to paycheck, essentially. Sure. And so you take those folks and you say, we're not going to give you anything extra. You know, the li- not that like anybody got rich off that one check that's been sent out so far, <laughs> but we're not going to help you in, in any way. You know, so I do think when people are desperate and they're, they're living that type of a lifestyle where their labor is survival, if they get sick, and I haven't heard stories of this, of this happening, but if people get sick, um, you know, there might be a tendency to, to either want or need to work through it. You know, people also might live in, not always, but sometimes larger uh, homes or multi-generational homes. Oh, right. Of course. And, and so our approach has also been to just quarantine with your family. Well, okay, you're going to get your whole family uh, ill as well. And so, and then grandma could die because grandma's more vulnerable. Right, exactly. And I will say um, the clients who I've uh, spoken to or met with have all been very responsible. They're, they're taking it very, very seriously. The, this idea, the, the sort of like, well, whatever, we got to get back to normal attitude. I have not seen that reflected in any of my clients. They're wearing masks. They're, I spoke to a client the other day. She lives in a little trailer, in a trailer park. She's not letting her kids out. I mean, they've got like a little yeah. tiny yard. Like, that's it. Uh, but they're not allowed to go play with kids or whatever. So I don't want people to get the wrong idea that, that this is a community that's 
that's living irresponsibly. That's been the opposite of my observation. But and, you know, and then at the end of the day, these are people working with their hands, you know, handling things, handling things off to each other. And it's an existing, a pre-existing problem that they don't have access to adequate sanitation. Like that's been a problem since, uh, since forever. So, um, there were some strikes um, up north of, north of Seattle a few years ago, and we went to visit the workers, and they they were sli- uh, staying. These were like temporary ag workers, okay. And uh, their bunks had you know bed bugs, and the communal bathroom that they were supposed to use didn't have soap or toilet paper. Oh my god! And these are people. Uh, picking raspberries so (laughs) not to gross out people uh, at home eating their raspberry fruit salad or whatever but those are the kinds of things that workers have been fighting for for a really long time and they're the kinds of things that honestly like the growers have been reluctant to provide additional ppe the the attitude has basically been you know bring your own stuff (laughs) bring a bandana or whatever right so they're already living paycheck to paycheck they don't get any stimulus uh if they if they're you know in any way associated with an undocumented person in terms of the stimulus check of not getting the stimulus check yeah what's yeah so people who have an undocumented person reported on their taxes oh, okay like somebody paying their taxes with a tax id number but not a social they did they did not get a check even if they were a u.s citizen wow so, yeah so that that's that all all that's going on and now on top of that their employers are saying bring your own ppe exactly you know so the the growers at least from what i've seen they're not taking any extra precautions or providing additional gear and and some of that is capitalism you know some of that is that the growers are the white people with the attitude that i mentioned earlier about like getting back to normal and it's it's not that big of a deal or whatever Um, You know, it's a combination of factors, but that's, I think, one of the reasons why this is going on. Well, that's what I've noticed something to a similar extent in in Spokane as well, where it's like what what you're really talking about is it's the the small business owners that really want to get back to work. And it's the normal, it's the employees that would be on the front lines, you know, in this context, like picking raspberries or picking, you know, the the apples off the trees in Yakima. And in Spokane, it would be the person standing at the door of Nordstrom who is going to have to like, in one horrible, just dystopian version of this that was in a, an editorial in the paper would be actually taking the the temperature of the women that were going to go, you know, do their shopping at Nordstrom, right? Like those people are not super stoked about being put in that situation and they're taking every, every goddamn precaution they can to not die. Right, right, exactly. Like, I mean, even a lot of the small business owners, if they had a, a choice of being just bailed out or kept afloat until this blew over or like reopening and risking their lives and the lives of their employees. Like I think most, not all, but most would rather just, yeah, like let's, let's get, uh, you know, a UBI going and just kind of chill out. (laughs) But the, you know, the rage in some ways is, is logical and under, you know, something you can understand when you realize like the extent of the stimulus so far has been, 
essentially like twelve hundred dollars. Right. So I mean, I don't know. Or it's the or it's the payroll protection thing where it's like you had to know a, a banker and your banker had to care about you, and there are like nine pages of stipulations you have to you know appeal to. Right, and even like uh, you know PPE, depending on how your business was structured and and all of those things. Uh, and yeah, it was hard to get in the first place, but it, it could end up not helping that much. And that was, uh, I think an eight week or a 10 week program essentially. Yeah. And that's coming up in about a week. So we, we actually got it and yeah, we're on like our last pay cycle, but apparently right. the Congress has passed a thing to extend it, but it's, we've already spent the money. So, um, and I get that it was meant to be like a thing to keep people off the unemployment rolls, which is, I mean, to your point, like we could have done what Denmark did, which was just like give people money directly or pay businesses directly to keep people on the payroll and not have, not make it like a, th- a thing you had to apply for. Um, you could have just been like, yeah, we're just going to float the economy for a while. Everybody stay home, be safe. You know, let's yeah. make sure we have a country when we uh, <laughs> get on the other end of this. Yeah, we got it too, actually. And, um, you know, I think one of the stipulations was you're not allowed to take any more money. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. So, you know, it, it, and it's been good and it's helped us uh, stay afloat and get some things figured out. But I don't know. I'm not an economist. It, it's an interesting time because, you know, things slow down. And I think a lot of people are rethinking their business and, and how it's run anyway is like a lot of retail shops are sitting at home going wait a minute we're basically doing okay with our online sales like why yeah. why do we need brick and mortar anyways i don't know i don't know that i have too much to say about that other than just for the regular workers like if you if you're a worker at a place that got ppe I can just assure you that one of the things your boss is doing every night is sitting at home going like counting down the days to when they can either cut your hours or lay you off or lay you off again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we'll see. Totally. Uh, I was trying to figure out how much farming actually happened down in Yakima. And I realized this thing that I didn't, I was looking at labor statistics and we don't track farm labor statistics. So we like, we don't even know how many workers are on these farms. Is that true? Or did I not find the right thing? No, I mean, uh, statistics are really hard to come by. You know, there is this thing called E-Verify where immigration can go into a business and say, you know, we're going to run a check and see how many of your employees are undocumented or working with fake socials. And and agriculture is just totally exempt. That's incredible. And it's because everybody basically knows the reality. The industry can't survive without undocumented labor. And so we're not going to check. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I've I don't see this stuff too often, but I have seen, you know, clients pull out their fake green card like on accident or, you know, they they show they show it to me and it's like printed on black and white paper and then laminated with like packaging tape. Like it's obviously not a green card. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows. I mean, some people have sophisticated fake papers, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I've seen some of the stuff that farm workers are able to present and you know the farmers know everybody knows and the statistics statistics i've seen is that it's anywhere between 50 to 70 percent of 
farm workers are undocumented. Wow. Which, you know, hmm. would, would be unsurprising to me. That's incredible. Uh, you know, so I, at least so in Spokane, I've noticed that there's been a lot of talk around just really seeing and understanding how important these frontline workers are. And, and the, the vast majority of them are being food workers, like the people that are still working at restaurant jobs so you can still get takeout. The people that are still, you know, like having to mop the floors at, at Safeway or... Is that happening? And I know you, the dynamics of Yakima are a lot different, but I mean, do you hear calls for sort of worker rights and stuff in in these, the, the people that are at the other end of the supply chain that are actually picking these, you know, fruits and stuff? Yeah, so it's been really encouraging to see... Um, some strikes going on uh, that have really grown. There's a group called uh, Familias Unidas por la Justicia or Families United for Justice. Oh, cool. And they've um, been really well organized and they've got hundreds of workers now striking and organizing for um, these are specifically so far uh, warehouse workers who are striking for PPE and hazard pay. I think it's like an extra $2 an hour. Okay. And they've actually just recently started to get some concessions, which is awesome. That's very cool. But you know, it's a, uh, warehouse jobs oftentimes have long hours, you know, it's, it's not great fun. Um, you, you can be in close quarters to other workers and you're handling food you know, so it should be like a priority to take care of these folks. And, and it's encouraging to see them start to organize. It's really hard to organize uh, farm workers. You know, the there's usually other people who are willing to do the work. They're, right. There's uh, these temporary agricultural workers that they bring over from, from abroad that they, you know, might have to compete with. And, you know, the season only lasts so long. So if... A couple workers are unsatisfied at the height of cherry season. You know, you get a couple extra workers to take their place. And then in a few weeks, the season's over and, and the workers move on to something else. Yeah. And so uh, that can make it really tricky. But I, I've been happy to see some progress on that front here in Yakima and in the surrounding areas. Yeah, that is cool. Um, is there So then any sort of, and I don't know, I'm asking you to play legislator here a little bit, but like what? Is there a long-term fix for this situation that's not like legislative? Um, that doesn't force people to treat people a certain way? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's been encouraging to see that they've been able to raise a lot of money um, and they're starting to get concessions. And I do think, you know, a lot of it is just getting people to see what's possible. And I think that really spark, sparks their imagination. Like, sure. hey, these people raised $75,000 in like two weeks to help pay the bills of the workers while they demanded like more money and then they got it. And then I think, you know, those stories spread and people start to think about how they might be able to apply that to their own situation. Then hopefully, what's built up from this is like a lasting structure organization structure and that sort of thing to where, uh, these actions can be applied easily in other contexts with other workers. You know, if all that happens, then you could start to see, um, some real movement. It's not quite the same, but you know, I've had a lot of cases where like there's a, a cafe down the street and they don't have a signature. They don't have a, a tip line on their receipts. 
Oh yeah. And so I'm always telling these workers like you should strike, you know, <laughs> because like that's a huge loss for them. Like not for the, absolutely. And they're, they'll say stuff like, Oh yeah. But you know, the, the boss has the machine is really expensive or, you know, stuff like oh that. Oh my God. And, uh, the workers really have you by the balls in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> your, your employees do. And the employees have it all backwards. They think that like, you know, boy, you know, if three or four of us got together and asked for something, he's going to fire us all. And it's like, no, that's definitely not going to happen. If you threaten to, to not come in for even one day, he he would buy you the cash register you need. Yeah. Like I can guarantee you. Right. Because even actually I was thinking about this when you're talking about the farm workers, it's like there is like a, there's a cost, there's an opportunity cost, even with sort of quote unquote unskilled labor where it's like, you got to find the replacement and at a cafe, it's like, God, does this kid have a food handler's permit? Does he have this? Does he have that? You know, so you're really right about that. And this is one of the great American lies that's been told, I think. It's like that business owners are the job creators. It's like workers are the wealth creators. And we've just found a way, you know, a certain number of people have found a way to sort of organize things so that they get to keep the majority of the wealth. Right. And then tell people that they're the ones that are actually creating it. Yeah. The idea that, that your boss is like, like it's an act of charity that, the, that they're employing you and that you should be, <laughs> you should be gr- so grateful to them. I mean, I'll be honest, when you are a boss, I've had those moments where I've felt that way, which is just the worst <laughs> Just the, and I've had to, you know, su- suppress that and tell myself that I'm I'm wrong. Where you're just like, look at me giving insurance and decent wages. You know, <laughs> what a what an incredible person I am. And uh, and then it's like, well, no, they're also helping me live my lifestyle, which is like admitted hundred percent, admittedly you know, different from their lifestyle, but that it's a kind of drug, honestly, that uh, is very easy to take. And it, it tastes pretty good. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you're taking too much of it, but you know what I mean, right? Totally. Um, and so one of the struggles with farm workers going back to that, I do think is their earning cycle typically is uh, reduced to certain months and certain sure. certain of crops course. and things like that. And so when you talk to a farm worker about you guys should strike for two weeks in the middle of cherry season and cherries are, I think the most uh, lucrative crop, at least around here. Oh, interesting. Uh, that's a really big ask. I mean, you're, right. you're asking people to maybe go, hungry in the winter time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so with no real guarantee of like, what does that look like? Like what's on the back end? And that's why I do think, you know, by the time we get to cherry season, if these, uh, these warehouse workers have been able to prove, no, look, we've been able to fundraise this much money and we've got this much bank. And, uh, you know, with this kind of pressure, these are the, the tactics that work. Um, you know, maybe people, when they're weighing that risk, the calculus comes out a little bit different. Well, we saw it in uh, in the teachers' strikes that kind of that almost like a mini little strike wave that happened a couple of years ago, right? Where it was like West Virginia and it ended up always going all the way to like Arizona and California. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. The teacher strike was so incredibly, you know, it gave me so much optimism, hope. It's cool to hear that like in this moment, despite everything, there are some some farm workers close to home that are that are winning some concessions. Actually, there's not a lot of hope to be found right now, but that's kind of 
kind of awesome. Right. And uh, I agree with you. Like, honestly, this is a good time for uh, sitting at home and feeling sorry for yourself which, <laughs> and just like being overwhelmed by the circumstances. But uh, yeah, read those stories on Familias Unidas por la Justicia. They have uh, videos and stuff on their Facebook page. And I would say try to draw strength for those people and then find out like how you can help them and like what could I do to be a little bit more involved uh, to show solidarity with those people. Um, cool. Because you just like, oh man, it, it's almost, it's kind of selfish in a way, like do it for them, but also like you, people need to be doing this stuff right now for their own, like for their soul and their mental, yeah, <laughs> their mental, totally. mental well-being, I think. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I think I'm actually going to end it there for right now. I'm going to do two episodes with Stephen Robbins, I think. There's a whole other part where we talk about the situation at our borders and at our bus stations in the case of the Greyhound Station in Spokane. So all stuff that's more around law enforcement as it comes to immigration. So yeah, needless to say, I've been trying to end these on a positive note and anything regarding law enforcement and immigration is going to get real depressing. So let's just pause there. And I really like drink in what I think is a pretty hopeful message that at least in this moment, at least in this place, Yakima, there's people fighting for their rights and winning some concessions, which is pretty cool. So anyways, like Stephen mentioned, if you have raspberries at all, thank an immigrant. But if they also don't taste faintly of poop, thank an immigrant. Okay, two quick things to look for. More good news, more hopeful things to look for in the show notes. I'm going to provide a link to uh, the nonprofit that uh, Stephen was mentioning, Familias Unidas por Justicia. God, that was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Familias Unidas por Justicia. I'm going to put a link to that, but then also a link to Steven's podcast. He does a really cool podcast entirely about immigration policy and and court stuff, like lawyer stuff, called Redirect. And this most recent episode that just came out like yesterday is a celebration of the recent Supreme Court decision to block the Trump administration's attempts to stop DACA. And it's an interview with Luis Cortez, who's the immigration attorney that argued it before the Supreme Court, who incidentally happens to be a University of Idaho grad. So I might actually, I mean, he was on Jake Tapper. Somehow Stephen got him. He's probably way too big for range, but that would be cool to talk to him at some point as well. In the meantime, we can just bask in the glow of this really awesome episode of Redirect. So look for that in the show notes too. Definitely check it out. It's a really cool episode. In the hopper soon, working on interviews with a young activist named Ava Sharifi and going to be talking bail reform with our friends at The Bail Project. Stay tuned. Steven, be honest, man. What do you think about range? It's a kind of drug, honestly, that uh, is very easy to take and it, it tastes pretty good.